what he, look at what she said. Now she has some wisdom about it. Or he said, it is not meat, or it is not proper, or it is not white. It's not the right thing to do to take what belongs to the children. Remember, Jesus is the bread of life. And so he said, it's not right to take what belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. How much do you know if you would not be a good parent if you fixed a deal, a meal, you fixed a you, you fixed a good meal, you set the children down at the table, and then you went over and you took the good meal and fed the dogs first. Would that be being a good parent? No. No, it's not even a good dog parent. Because if your house is that out of order, if you're going to mistreat the children, you're also going to mistreat the dogs. Okay? So he said, so he, he, basically what Jesus was saying was, yes, I understand who you are and I understand that you need me, but I have a responsibility to take care of the Jews first. I have, an, I have a responsibility to take care of the Jews first. Now I love what she says because she doesn't get offended at the fact that he called, that, that, that she referred to her as a dog because that's what everybody referred to her as. So she didn't get offended. In verse 27, it says, and she said, look at what she said. She said, truth. She didn't get offended. She knew that he spoke the truth. She said, truth, Lord. She still called him Lord. How many times do you know that uh, sometimes we'll say something that, that uh, or the Lord will say something to us that will offend us? How much do you know? The Lord told me, you're just not a good friend. Because I was talking to her about the teenagers. And how the teenagers were having all this drama because they were picking wrong friends. And that they weren't being good friends. And I said, I was talking to the Lord. I was like, Lord, Lord, how do I teach them to be good friends? And the Lord came back at me. I, I mean, I now think about this. Because Judy, I told you, I asked you, how do I teach somebody about this? And you turn around and look at me and go, well, you're not a good one yourself. You know, so that might offend somebody. But that's exactly what the Lord did to me. He said, well, you're not a good friend. And I was like, well, Lord, you're right, I'm not. You're right, I'm not. I said, but could you tell, but I was smart enough to say, could you tell me where I messed up? And he said, yeah, friendship takes work, and you don't work at it. Oh, okay, Lord. So, I had to, so, so it helped me, and, and me learning that I had to work at being friends, and I had to work at obtaining friends and good friends, it helped me to teach the young people that, they, that friendship comes through work. It doesn't come just because somebody is interested in the same thing you're interested in. Yeah. It doesn't just come because you're not in the, because you're in the same class or in the same neighborhood. Friendship takes work. So the Lord started me. So the Lord was saying to her, "Look, I want to help, but uh, I'm going to take care of the children. I'm going to take care of the Jews first." But look at what she said. So she said, "Truth, Lord." Colin, because then she goes. She didn't just say, "Well, truth, Lord," and walk out. Well, they take care of the Jews. She didn't just take them at the first word he said. I love this about this woman. She said, yes, the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So she said, yep, yep, you're right, Lord, I'm a dog. Yes, Lord, you're right, I'm a dog. The Lord, 
with Master. So now she's not just calling him Lord, she's also say, she's also alluding to the point that she's saying Master, which is Lord. And she said, yep, you're right, Lord, but even the dogs. In other words, yeah, I'm in your house and I'm a nobody. I mean, you know, a lot of times we think of ourselves as a nobody. And we think because we're a nobody, the Lord will not heal us. Did you hear me? This is one of those blockades to healing. We think that we're a nobody, so we think the Lord won't heal us. We think that we're not worthy because we're not much higher than a dog. Because of how we view ourselves. How much do you know? That woman had been told all her life she was nothing but a dog. Because that was how the society operated. But then she said, um, well, Lord, that's true, but the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. In other words, she said, Lord, I don't need much. All I need is a crumb. Do you know you could get healed from just a crumb from the master's table? I don't need much, Lord. Thank God. She had she had the faith of a mustard seed. She said, "One crumb from your table, and my daughter will be set free." Now, we're a dog household. When Mike and I met, one thing that almost caused us to not be so was we're a dog household. Always been a dog house. Will always be a dog house. Michael and his family are cat house. And I was like, mm, well, you're going to have to learn to be a dog person. Because, no, we haven't dogs. Uh, and for a season, we did the dog and the cat thing, but eventually the dogs worn out. The, cat, the dogs are inside, the cats are outside. Uh, partly because their dander is an allergen uh, to me. And the other problem is, is he figured out, you know what, this little box issue is a problem. So they can either look outside or uh, we just can't have them. Um, so, and then we figured, of course, we live in the woods and there's coyotes. So unless they were really smart, they didn't survive long. So we just figured dogs were just. But, but my point is, we're a dog household. And one thing is for sure, the dogs are always about the crumbs. Always. Cats can be. But cats are like, um, unless I get the sandwich, no. Like, I get half the sandwich or no. <laughs> like, like, the dogs are all about the crumbs. And you know what? They're completely satisfied with their crumbs. They're completely satisfied with their crumbs. Yeah, they are. They're so happy with their crumbs. Now, I have little Truman, and he is the biggest crumb hound there is. Like, he's like, he, he's, like, he's like thrilled with the plate. Now, Dylan is not so much about the crumbs. Now, he'll take the crumbs, but Dylan's about the plate. And so, when you get done with the plate and you set the plate aside, he will sit there and stare at the plate and then look at you and bark. And then look at the plate. Sure barks a lot. He's like, excuse me, the plate, please. Excuse me, the plate, please. Truman, on the other hand, is like, oh, you set your plate down? Here, let me vacuum the crumbs. Immediately. Like, Mom, all I need is the crumb. Dad, I, you got a crumb for me. And then he goes, oh, by the way, there's a crumb on the plate. Can I take care of that for you, too? How much do you know? It's selfless. Yeah. He just wants to keep you clean. He's just like, I'll just take the crumb, please. How much do you know? The crumb can be valuable. 
Yeah. Some can be valuable. And that's what the woman said. The woman said, I don't need much. She said, I, and, and, and this is not even that she said. She said, I'm not trying to take anybody, anything from anybody. She said, I don't want to take what belongs to the Jews. She said, I'll just take what the Jews leave left over. Just, just a crumb. They drop a crumb and I'm not there for it. And look at what Jesus said about it. Then Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Check that out. Because of her willingness to receive a crumb, she got victory over the devil. Victory over the devil. You can get victory over Satan because you're willing to receive just a morsel, just a crumb from Jesus. Just a crumb from Jesus is enough to put the devil on the run. Isn't that cool? Put sickness on, to put sickness on the run. That is so cool. Let's read a little bit more here. Because he does some other healing here. Alright. And Jesus departed from thence and came now into the Sea of Galilee. And went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. Let's keep going. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days, and I have nothing, and, and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And his disciples said unto him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness? Where we have this bread from? As to fill so great a multitude. And Jesus saith unto him, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fishes, and gave thanks and broke them. And gave to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat, and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they that did eat were four thousand men, besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, and took ship, and came to the coast of Magdala. Now one thing that we've been pointing out this whole time is that Jesus teaches first. Jesus teaches first. And then the woman with the with, with this woman um, that said, just a crumb, Lord, just a crumb, this, this woman that was called a dog, um, what we do know is he had just been teaching. And she followed him and got his attention. And then he, and, then, um, and she asked for what she wanted. She said, Lord, just give me a crumb. He said, all you need is a crumb. Take it. Basically what he said, the devil's gone. And then he continued on, and it says that he left, and then he went into this, um, went into the mountain and sat down there, and a great multitude came to him. I'm in verse 29 and 30. I'm reading verse 30 now. And it said, and a great multitude came unto him, having with them um, lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. So if you're lame, uh, you either have a crutch or you have somebody helping you. If you are blind, how much do you know you probably have somebody with you or somebody helping you in some way? 
Dumb means unable to hear or unable to speak. Now, isn't that interesting? People that were unable to hear came and sat down at the teaching and got healed. How, much, how cool is that? Now, wait a minute. They can't hear, but yet they're sitting there? I, how much you know? They can hear the Spirit speaking. They can hear God speaking to them. God can talk to them. To the, uh, the dumb to speak. Um, which here it says these are the mute people, but most people that are mute also can't hear. Uh, the maimed, if you're maimed, uh, then more than likely you've got some aid of some type uh, to be whole, and the lame to walk. Or this, uh, so, oh, I'm sorry, yep. Nope, I'm sorry, wrong verse. Um, the maimed and many others. And then look at this, what it says. It says, cast them down. And I said, cast them down. I said, I said, Jesus, it sounds like they're coming to you with sick people in their arms, and they're just walking up to you and just throwing them at your feet. <laughs> and they're just tossing them. That's what it looks like, right? And I thought, uh, Jesus, you kind of have to help me. <laughs> I don't understand. So I went, look this word up, cast, and guess what it means? It means to throw. I was like, uh, Jesus, I need some help. But then it also means to step down with haste, looking to have something occur. You know, some expectancy. To step down with haste with some expectancy. And I thought, well, okay, I can work with that, but still they're casting them down. And then, now this is the funny part, I got to looking at it, because this word comes from another, has a, comes from another uh, Greek word. So it's rooted in another Greek word, which means, yeah. It means to hit with a stick or specifically to hit with the palm of your hand. And I thought, so, so they're going up and the ushers are coming along going, get down, get down. Get, like, what? Like, what? Like, this is weird to me, Lord. Like, I don't get that. And it says that he healed them. And then, um, and then look at verse 31, in so much as the multitude wondered. So they were wondering about what they were seeing, but then verse 32 gives us the clue. What's verse 32 say? Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days. These people had been listening to Jesus teach on, the, on heaven and healing for three days. These people that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, all manners of sickness, and they sat for three days. This was like the, this is like one of the first ultimate camp meetings. You know, we don't understand what camp meeting is. Camp meeting, especially old timers, they understood what camp meeting was. Camp meeting was when they would come in their horse and their in their covered wagons by the droves. They would come to a site um, where they were where there was going to be some preaching and teaching about God. But they would what they would do is they would put all of their covered wagons in a circle, and they'd have all of their supply. They'd have their food. They'd have all of their supply, and they stay there for days. Just letting God have his way. That's exactly what these people did. They sat with the Messiah for three days without food, which means they put their flesh on them. 
for three days and just sat and just listened to them. Most people, including the deaf people, most people would have said, I sat here for three hours. It is time to go. It is time. Like, if you're not going to, like, no, these people sat there for three days. Now, listen, if you've been putting your flesh under for three days, and you've been hearing the voice of God, the Messiah, minister to you, because faith comes by healing. And then Jesus said, if you need healing, come. How much do you know? They, they came casting themselves down. They threw themselves down at his feet. It looked like, if you were, if you were standing, if you were the usher that was standing next to Jesus, it probably looked to you, like the people that were helping the people that were sick and lame were coming up and just pushing them. But really what it was was the sick and the lame were coming with such expectancy that they were throwing themselves, they were casting themselves down at his feet. And so somebody can say, well, you've been teaching on this healing for nine weeks. And uh, you've not laid hands on anybody, you've not given an altar call, you've not done any of that. Well, of course not. I've only, we've only been teaching for about nine hours. <laughs> we've only been teaching for about nine hours. <laughs> I thought my check three days was 72 hours. We've only been teaching on this for nine hours. we got a long way to go to get you to the point that you come flinging yourself on the altar at Jesus' feet going, Yes, Lord, I'll receive it. Yeah, and they fasted on top of it. We come in here going, oh man, I ate a good spiritual meal this morning. I ate a good spiritual lunch. I ate a good physical lunch. That's what I'm ready for now. They were fasting. Imagine 72 hours of fasting. Maybe you didn't fast and receive nothing. They cast themselves down. There was a reason he said they cast themselves down. They were ready to receive. Glory to God. And it's because of their readiness to receive that the power of God was available to, to feed how many? 4,000? Yeah. That's the women and the children. So, you know, they never caught, they never counted the women and the children. So if there were 4,000 men, yeah, I can guarantee you there was 4,000 women. Between the sisters, the wives, the mothers, the aunties, the grannies. I guarantee you there was at least 4,000 women. Plus the children. Some families had no children. Some families had 14 children. They had a lot of people that day. And, uh, yeah, there was still baskets of food left over. Still. But why was there so Why was the power of God so present to feed so many? Because they had sat at the Master's feet for 72 hours putting the flesh under and hearing the word of God. Imagine where you're being. Listen, if you need divine healing, why don't you put yourself under in the master's hands for 72 hours? Why don't you fast for 72 hours and just get along with God? Now I'm not talking starving yourself. A true biblical fast is when you set time aside from your normal everyday function and you put your flesh under and you take that time and you spend it with God. That's what a true biblical fast is. Um, let's go look at this other account of this in Mark 7. We'll see a few other little details in Mark 7. And uh, we'll pick up here, uh, let's see, in verse 24. Again, he's been teaching. 
And uh, we'll pick up right here in verse 24. And from this he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. So this woman was, so in the last word, in the last account, it sounded like he was walking on the road. But in this account, they tell us, no, no. He actually went into a house where nobody would find him. But guess what? She found him. She found him. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. Now every time it says, so now we didn't know the daughter's age, now we know young daughter. So this young daughter, every time the Bible says young daughter, young girl, young man, um, it means between the age of adolescence, so about the age of 12, to the age of 30. That's the age, that's young. It's that young adult age. So she could have been, so the daughter could have been as young as 12. She could have been as old as 30. She could have been married, but maybe she wasn't married. But we find out that we saw in the last, in the last, in the last scripture that it said that when the woman arrived home, which meant the daughter was not married. Because if the daughter had been married, she would have been in her husband's home, not the mother's home. Okay? So, uh, so we understand that this is a young daughter. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician, by a nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. Okay, so notice that it says the woman was a Greek. That's another way of saying that was her nationality. But really what they were saying is she was a Gentile. In other words, she was a pagan worshiper. She was not a Jew, but she followed the religion of the Greeks, which meant she did pagan worship. Now we understand how the daughter became uh, vexed with a demon. We talked about that. Okay? And it said that, that she was a Syrophoenician, which means that uh, she was a half-breed between uh, one parent uh, was probably was, the, was from the land of Syrian, from the Syrian. Um, and the other parent was from Palestine. Hmm. From Palestine. So very much so not you. Very much so not you. Possibly somewhere in the lineage had Jewish, uh, Jewish lineage, but was far removed from this Jewish religion. Alright. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, go thy way. The devil is gone out of thy daughter. So we don't really see much difference in, in what happens other than Jesus said, Let the children be filled first in verse 27. In other words, he didn't say, I'm not willing to heal you. Because when we read Matthew's account, it kind of sounded like, you're not a Jew, I'm not interested. But that's not what he said here. What he said here, what was reported as being said here, is let the Jews be filled first. Let me take care of the Jews first. See, if you're an unborn, if you're an unborn person, born again person, if you're a sinner, a heathen, a non-believer, whatever terminology you want to use, it's not that God's unwilling to save you. It's not that God's unwilling to heal you. 
Because if he saves you, he heals you. It's a, it's a package deal. Um, but what he does say is, um, my children, you have the right to be healed first. We have the right as children of God to be healed first. Why do we have the right to be healed first? Because sickness and disease has no right to touch us in the first place. Amen. That's why we get to get healed first. Isn't it, is it, well, let me heal them and then if I have time or ability, then I'll come heal you. No, it's that the sickness should have never touched them to begin with. Shouldn't have touched them to begin with. And that's why Jesus said, well, um, let them be still first. Because again, he's the bread of life and that's what they're talking about. In other words, he's saying, let them receive of the bread of life. In other words, he's saying, let those that believe in me receive of me first. And then let those that don't believe me receive. In the, in the great study Bible, it says that God had always planned to save the Gentiles, but first he had to offer salvation to the Jews and to give them a chance to become the missionaries to the Gentiles. Christ was simply testing her faith and determination, and she met the test with flying colors. Correct. Correct. That's exactly it. So uh, she, you know, she, how did she match it? She said, yeah, you're right. You're called to them, but I can receive with the crumb of the table. So, uh, it's God's will to heal, thank God. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're saved or unsaved. Like I said, salvation is a package to healing, and salvation is a package deal. When you re- another way to receive healing, and we keep talking about this over and over again, one way for the unsaved to receive healing is to receive Christ. And a lot of times, if you'll get the unsaved healed, then you'll get unsaved. Because they're going to be like, oh, God is real. Oh, okay. Well, if he can heal me, then surely he can keep me out of hell. Of course he can. But I want to pick out a couple of things about the feeding of the people. So let's read on. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter lay upon the bed. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coasts, coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf, and had an impediment in, in his speech. And they beseeched him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit, and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and saith unto him, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the strength of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them so, the more a great deal they published it. And they and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. So now this sounds like this is a totally different occasion. It sounds like this is a totally different time. But we know that it's not because it says right here, and after departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, came to the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. That's what it said in the other scriptures. And then it says, and they bring. The Bible is not, the books of the Bible, the chapters of the Bible, the writing of the Bible is not always um, chronological. So what uh, Matthew did is Matthew gave us an overall picture. What Mark does is he gives us one exact example of one of the healings that took place. So what he did is sometime during the three days of teaching, 
this uh, dumb person that can't hear the altar call. God moved upon them for them to come to Jesus while he's teaching. And while he's there teaching in these three days is, is when this occurs. And so it says, and they bring on to him, so whoever, how much you know, if somebody is deaf and uh, blind, if they can't hear and they can't speak, they need somebody with them. So I imagine that this deaf, dumb person was probably doing everything they could to communicate to who was with them, saying, get me to the man. Take me to the man. Get me. The man is talking. I need to go to him. And they probably, out of exasperation, not being able to communicate with this person, said, just give them what they want. And they, and here they brought him, um, because, you know, when somebody really desperately wants something, you can't communicate with them. You know, think about a small child that's just having an absolute, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. How much you know? You go through everything. You want the blanket, you want the ball ball, you want the plastic, like, what do you want? Like, what are just... Let me figure it out, and I will give it to you, anything to calm you down. They were probably in the same boat. It doesn't say that that was the situation, but it says that they that were with him, uh, it says, and they bring on to him one, only one person in this moment came that was dead and had an impediment in his speech. In other words, he could talk a little bit, but he couldn't talk well. So maybe he was just saying, Jesus, 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 we don't know. Might have been Jesus, 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 we don't know. But he was just, he had an impediment and he was determined to get there. Um, and when Jesus, and, and so, and then it says, and he took him, he took the, the man aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ear. In other words, um, how much do you know? Have you ever been in a service? Or somebody comes up for healing, or somebody comes up, and the minister grabs them and kind of takes them over here, or the minister covers their mic or mutes their mic and talks to them face to face. That's basically what Jesus did. The multitude is still there. The multitude can see everything. They just can't necessarily hear everything. And if this person is deaf and they can't hear, how much you know? Jesus has to, Jesus and the Father had to work together to communicate to this person. So he had to get him away from this panic view. He needed to let this person know, I'm focused on you and you alone. Now let's get you something. If sometimes you've got to cut out the world and get focused on Jesus. And with these people doing that, you know, three days with the Father fasting, that's what they were doing. So he gives us the detail. Obviously he didn't take them far away because they saw him stick his fingers in his ears. They heard, they saw him look up to heaven, Jesus. How much you know? Jesus wasn't, Jesus didn't heal everybody by his own power and mind. He healed everybody by the Father's power and mind. He looked to the Father and said, Father, this person needs to be healed. And the Father said, Jesus, stick your fingers in his ears. You want me to do what? Stick your fingers in his ears, Jesus. And then command them to be open. Okay. Okay. So he pulled him aside, put his fingers in his ears. Oh, let's not forget this. And he spit. So he sticks his fingers in his ears. And then he spits. And then what does he do? He touches his tongue. He touches his tongue. He touches his tongue. So here he comes, fingers in his ears. So now he's got earwax on his ear. 
first him. Then he takes his fingers, pulls them out, spits on them, and then he touches the man's tongue. How much do you know? That's weird. Yeah. That's weird. I wish I was blind and couldn't see this. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe Richard said it right, and I was thinking, man, I thought, now I was so I wish I was blind, so I didn't see what Jesus just did to me. Man, this is weird stuff. I wish you know, the Father doesn't heal the way you think he's going to heal. That actually blocks people's healings. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. A lot of times we'll pray God heal them this way and they don't get the healing because that's not how the Father wants to do it. Sometimes we need to just take the pressure off and say, Father, just get the job done. Yeah. However you want to do it. There was one, Dad Hagen was a gentleman. There was one woman that came in his prayer line one time for, to have a tumor heal. He, he, she, just need, she just needed healing. He didn't know what. And then he found out that she had this tumor in her stomach. And so he was waiting on the Holy Ghost. What do I do? How do I handle this? And plain as day, he heard, a vo- he heard the voice of God say, punch her in the stomach. He said, Lord, I'm not going to punch this woman. He said, dear Lord, I wouldn't even punch a man. And the Spirit said, punch her in the stomach. So God Hagen kind of laid his hand on her, but didn't punch her. And nothing happened. And he knew. He said, power God didn't move. So he was like, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to get me for assault and all this. But he heard the Lord. I said, punch her in the stomach. So he punched her in the stomach. And that tumor deflated immediately right there on the spot. So some people would say, well, yeah, because he punched her. He, no. He popped it. He popped it. No. The power of God went into that tumor with such force that it just obliterated it and dissolved it in an instant of time. Now, Smith Wigglesworth, God used him the same way. Remember, he was in that line in Africa? He, he was in that line in Africa, and he's going down the line, and there was this big African woman. And he hauled off and hit her. And she hauled off and hit him back. And he went down the line and continued to heal people. Well, the next night he had a service, and he's going through a healing line, and there's a woman in the line, another big black woman. And she's got this big, big hat on, big hat on. He said he had to get up under there and look under that hat. And he had once he got under there and looked under the hat, and he said, you were in my prayer line last night. And the woman began to wall and cry. And she said, oh, oh, Brother, Brother Wigglesworth, she said, I came up here to apologize to you. He said, apologize to me. She said, well, yeah. She said, I was in line for healing. I'm up here looking to get healed. And you hauled off and hit me. She said, I hit you right back. Oh, hit me. You hit me right back. You know, I hit you right back. And he said, and she said, and then he went on praying for people. And she said, I kind of got upset at that. She said, and I went home and figured out I was completely healed. Completely healed, and I need to repent because I, I hit the man of God. So sometimes God will do things a little crazy. Sometimes things God will do things a little crazy. I want you to notice with the Syrophoenician woman that, and, and with many others that we've been speaking about, is, is what they had in common is that they were determined. They were not going to take no for an answer. They knew without doubt that Jesus could heal them. 
and that and they knew without a doubt that he was going to heal them, what, no matter what it took. And they didn't care. And they, and they also knew that he was Lord. You know? So so that in the case of the Syrophoenician woman, he, he called her a dog and said, Hey, you know, you're a dog. Why would I feed you? And uh, because in that time, they didn't, they didn't feed. Once dogs were adults, they didn't feed them. They just let them run around. And, 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 and any Gentile was considered a dog to the Jews. So it wasn't really an insult, but it was the way they referred to it. And it was, it was common. You know? But she didn't get upset about it. She didn't get mad about it. She knew that he had the power, and she was going to get it. And she did. And so she came back with a good answer to what he said. And, and, the, and through her determination that he could do this, and he was going to, he said, your faith is made or in this case your faith is made your daughter for and that's the way we need to be we need to be absolutely determined that we're going to get our healing and there's, it's, it's not going he can do it, he will do it and I'm going to, and I'm going to get it you know, we have to be determined you know, we get comfortable with our illnesses we get comfortable with our, our problems See, my hand here this finger that doesn't go straight you know, when it first happened, it was painful. And uh, it took years for it to not be painful. And, and I don't even notice it. But it's a part of me now. You know, I, I don't even think about it most times. But there were days that it bothered him so bad that it, that it affected his mood. Yeah. There were days. But we get comfortable with things. And we get used to it. And then we don't think. We, we just get used to it. And we don't. We, we live with it. You know, but we don't have to. Mm-hmm. God could straighten it. God could repair the knuckles after the knuckles been crushed. Um, so we could, so God could fix it. But Michael hasn't gone to the Lord to say, okay, Lord, you took the pain away, but could you fix the knuckle? I don't have that determination that it right. needs to happen. Right. Does that mean you couldn't get the determination? Exactly. You could get the determination. Glory to God. So they give us an so they so they're giving us this example, and it kind of at first because let's read a little bit more. It says so he looked up to heaven. So here he is. He stuck his fingers in his ear. He spit on his hand. He touched his palm. Then he sighed. He looks up to heaven and then he sighs. I'm thinking if I'm the man and Jesus is sighing, like wait, what's happening right now? The God of Jesus is waiting on the Father to send the. Jesus is waiting for that moment. And he sighs, and then he says, Abasta, which is being interpreted, be opened. He's, he's, he's making sure, he's, he's, Jesus is making sure that he himself is in line with the power, so that the power can flow through him and into the man. And if you're here, if you're praying for somebody to be healed, you've got to take the moment to, this is the prayer part of it, if you're praying for somebody, either yourself or a loved one or a friend, or a stranger on the street, um, and you've got this, you know, and you're going to pray for them to be healed, make sure that you take the time to get the connection of God. Make sure that you take the time. Make sure you're not doing your power might, but make sure that you plug into the power of God before you plug into the person that needs the healing. Because if you plug into the person that needs the healing without being plugged into the God, is anything going to happen? No. you got to plug into the power first. If you touch the person back here, if uh, they turn on the system in the wrong order, the wrong, you know, the, 
the, the, the board's on, and then they turn on the amps, then they connect it to the power, we can blow out the board. We can, we can mess things up. We can cause things to not function properly. No, you got to do things in the right order. So if you're praying for somebody that needs healing, take the time. Yeah, God may say, I want you to do this. Okay, I did that. But now God, am I hooked up to, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was going, okay, I set my fingers in the air, in, the, in his ears. I spit on my fingers, I spit on my fingers, and I touched his tongue. Father, is there anything else I need to do to get connected to the power? And then God said, no, you're good. And Jesus went, be open. Okay, be open. You know, he heard the Father say, give the command. And he said, ooh, okay, God, I'm giving the command. That's why there was a sigh, because that was the moment that he said, yes, we're plugged up. And so he said, be open, and look at what happened. Verse 35. Straightway his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loose, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them so, much more, a great deal they published it. And, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the deaf to speak. Now, I, when I read that, I thought, Now, wait a minute, Lord. Now, wait a minute. We've already figured out from our study and our timeline that, that Jesus is probably about a year out from his crucifixion. He had already stopped telling people not to tell anyone. So why all of a sudden did he tell this man don't tell anybody. Like, why did he do that there? Like, what, like, like, that doesn't make any sense. We, we're already past the point that people, I mean, people are already following you to the point that you can't even get into the house and be alone. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it makes total sense when you read the first little bit of the next book, that next chapter. Because you know, the, chapter, the letter didn't stop there. Let's read just a little bit more. All right. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days, and I have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. So this now tells us, what, this now tells us that uh, this is at the time that, they, that he was teaching for three days, that this happened sometime in the three-day period. So who is he going to tell? The multitude. Who's there? How, what do you think that's going to do to the multitude's faith? It's going to grow. Their faith is going to grow. They're going to be putting the pressure on. Jesus called us to the altar. So he told them, he said, I need more time to teach before I do for them what I did for you. So I need you to stay calm. I'll give you an opportunity to testify, but don't testify yet. Well, how much you know the, de- the, 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 the deaf and the dumb guy, person, was so excited that he was going, that he, he, went, he sat down to listen to more teaching, and he was so excited that people were looking at him. And he was going, Jesus, you know, I couldn't hear, but now I can hear. Consider the fact, too, that how long it takes speech to develop. That, too. Yeah. Right. And this was instant. Yeah. And if you've not been able to speak clearly for a lifetime and all of a sudden you can speak clearly, are you going to just sit there and hold your tongue? No. <laughs> no. 
Give my offering. There it is. Leap. Just win. Thank you, Father God. We sow that seed. 